Let me tell you why I chose Anchor to host my podcast. First, it's free. It's one of the few hosts I found that really is free. They have all the tools that you need. You can make your podcast on a computer, or you can download their free app and make edits and uploads straight from your phone. So, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I say download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. This is the Liberty Lighthouse for Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Thanks for joining us. Glad to have you here. I really have so much to talk about that I can't think of a way to organize it in my head. It's just so much. One of the things that is certainly on top of the list is this is in America. This lockdown thing that we have going on, this is not the American way. Then I've been promising for two or three weeks now to give you all an update on the Second Amendment and gun laws from across our country, what different states are trying to do. Then we've got the stimulus fourth round $3 trillion liberal progressive wish list that Nancy Pelosi produced. And I really don't think that's going to go anywhere, but I think it's important that we talk about what kind of crap that was put in it. So we know what the agenda looks like from the from that side of the aisle. And I don't know. There's just so much. I don't know how to organize it. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to start talking and we'll see what happens. And hopefully it turns out to be a really cool episode. And uh, oh, that's another thing I want to talk about. I want to kind of recap last week because I really had a lot of fun. So I'm just going to light this candle and start this show and see what comes out the other side. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Serafine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. That's right. Call or text 64MyRights with your questions, comments, and concerns for the Liberty Lighthouse. Go to liberty-lighthouse.com, sign up to be a member, download my free ebook, and while you're there, if you really like the Liberty Lighthouse, show me some love. Click that support link and give me, you know, 99 cents a month or something like that so I keep her going. Since I plan on talking about our Second Amendment rights today, a couple of things. One... I have to tell you, the Second Amendment episode of the Liberty Lighthouse is brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse in downtown Belfont. That's hunterswarehouse.net if you're not near downtown Belfont. Tom at the Hunter's Warehouse can help you with all of your Second Amendment needs. And speaking of Second Amendment needs, the uh, state of Pennsylvania here is having a Second Amendment rally at the Harrisburg Capitol building on June 8th, 
And if I can get off work, I'm going to try to do the same thing I did last week. Show up there with my microphone and do some man-on-the-street style interviews. I had a whole lot of fun doing that at the Reopen PA rally last week. I uh, got a lot of good sound bites from a lot of good people, and I, I just really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed creating it. Before we get to the Second Amendment stuff, I really want to talk about the this is not America phenomena that we have going on. Now, it's really obvious that we have never shut down economies like this for anything, let alone just for a virus. And I understand why it happened. I genuinely understand that this was a new virus that we didn't know anything about and we needed to flatten the curve. We had to stop the spread until we figured out what was going on. There's enough data now to show that it's not as scary as we thought it was. So why are so many of the governors in our great nation dragging their feet on reopening? My governor here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf, is, is just going so slow. And he's trying to do the county-by-county county thing. And it's the lines of what can and can't be open are still, well, they still look really arbitrary. And that is frustrating a lot of people. So there's a, a lot of businesses that are just saying, forget about it, and opening. A couple of weeks ago on uh, social media, I made a pledge. I made a promise that any business within driving distance of my house that were to open up against Governor Wolf's mandate, that I, I would support them. So on my way back from Harrisburg, I went through Lewistown. I wanted to stop at a store that was over there and it was driving through town and I passed a tattoo shop, sacred gem tattoo shop to be specific, drove past and I thought, Hey, that, that looks like it's open. So I turned around and I went back and approached this place and they said, hey, you know, we're, we're only doing, uh, appointments. And I explained my pledge and he said, tell you what, come back in 45 minutes. So I went and did a little shopping, went back, and I got myself a tattoo. I am holding to my promise to support businesses within driving distance of my home if they open and violate these, uh, well, I think they're unconstitutional orders, but who am I? So let's talk about those orders for just a minute. There's a whole lot of media personalities that are really trying to pin the blame on this economic crisis and COVID crisis and whatever. They're trying to pin all the blame on President Trump. And I want you all to stop and remember that the Trump administration put out guidelines as to what they thought would be the best way to flatten the curve. It was your governors, it was the individual governors of the individual states who took those guidelines and turned them into mandates. They grabbed power through the emergency, whatever, the declaration of, of an emergency, and just started acting like little dictators. Not all of them. Many of them, but not all of them. 
these, this was the governors who have crashed the economy. It is the governors who have put uh, 38 million people out of work. It was not the president. That is not to say that President Trump has done everything perfectly and, oh, yes, President Trump is God. No, President Trump made mistakes. The Trump administration had made mistakes, but it was not the Trump administration who closed down the country. And it's that shutting down the country that really has me concerned and that everybody wearing masks and nobody even really questioning what's going on that has me concerned. This is not the United States of America. The United States of America does not shut down and cower behind a mask because of a virus. And there are plenty of examples throughout history to show that that is not the case. The Probably the most comparable example would be the Hong Kong flu. Uh, the, the Hong Kong flu, um, H3N2, if I remember correctly, uh, Hong Kong flu was from 1968 to 1970, killed roughly 130,000 Americans and over a million across the world. What did we in America do right smack in the middle of the Hong Kong flu, right in August 1969? in a little farm in upstate New York, we had Woodstock. 400,000 Americans piled together in close quarters in a farm for three days in the middle of the Hong Kong flu. As a matter of fact, by August 1969, the, it's estimated that the Hong Kong flu had already killed 100,000 Americans, and we had Woodstock. Now, we've got the Wuhan flu, and we can't even go to a bar in most states. few of them you can now. Certainly isn't going to be any kind of a concert or music festival this year. This is not America. We don't do this. We do not allow nature to interrupt our lives for the long term. Sure, a hurricane comes and wipes out your town. It affects your life for a little while. But then you get back to it. This virus came. We all agreed by our submission to lock down shelter in place for two weeks. And that was over eight weeks ago. It's time to stop this mess. If you aren't already out there protesting, you should be. And if you don't think we should un unlock and get back to some semblance of normal, if you're one of those people who dutifully follows the little arrows on the, the floor of the Walmart telling you which way to go up and down the aisles... And you don't leave your house without your mask on your face. And you even wear your mask while you're driving around in your car by yourself. Then maybe you should just continue to live your life like that. And always wear your mask and leave your house as seldom as possible. But I want to get back to life. I want to get back to 
a world where I can go out if I want to without having to worry about, you know, oh, did I bring a mask? Well, no, I didn't bring a mask. I haven't brought a mask for weeks now. I just don't. There, actually, there was a little exception to that. Just the other day, uh, I get my milk from a local dairy. I don't buy it from the big box stores. I buy milk from a local dairy. And I went to my local dairy, and the sign on their door said, please wear a mask while in the store. It didn't say, the law says, or Governor Wolf says, or required, or it wasn't, it wasn't confrontational, it wasn't dictatorial, it said please. So I actually put a mask on, because the sign said please. It's amazing what that one little word can do, because I hadn't worn a mask for several days before that. And I've gotten a lot of dirty looks, but I keep going. And, you know, the funny thing about that is I was at Walmart. Um, The beautiful wife and I were at Walmart. We did not have a mask on. And twice we were stopped by customers that asked, how how did you get in without a mask? Well, we just walked in. Nobody stopped and questioned you? Nope. And both of those customers took their masks off. Masks don't do any good. Fauci himself said that the masks didn't do any good. The CDC says the masks don't do any good. Several doctors are saying that they're actually bad if you're a healthy person. So why on earth are governors telling you that you have to wear a mask? If it's... It has to be something else. It can't be that they really believe that it's going to stop the spread of the virus when all these other doctors, including the ones that the world is supposed to be you know, bowing down to, say that it doesn't do that. So what is it? Maybe it's just a visual representation of your submission. Maybe the governors are doing it just so they can see who's going to listen and who isn't. Maybe it's just to keep people afraid. Because if you're already afraid and you see people wearing masks, well, that's probably going to make you more afraid. I don't know why the governors are doing it. and I don't, Maybe they're not even all doing it for the same reasons. But it's not for stopping the spread. It's just not. I I said from the beginning of this Wuhan flu lockdown garbage, I am far more afraid of civil unrest than I am the Wuhan flu. I haven't left my house without a gun since this began because I don't know when all of these unemployed people are finally going to get fed up and start robbing and looting. I don't know when the civil unrest is going to begin. So for the first time in my life, I carry a gun every time I leave the house. But I don't bring a mask. Not after all these doctors that say that it's bad for you. After I realized that Fauci himself said, don't wear a mask. 
Then, of course, he changed his mind. The CDC has never changed their guidelines. They've always said it's not necessary. So why are these governors, most of which not medical doctors, making us all wear masks? The one thing that I think it really is doing, more than anything else, I think that all of these people wearing masks and seeing everyone in masks, the one thing that I really think that that is accomplishing is is just crushing the American spirit. Absolutely pummeling the American citizens into submission, psychologically. Our founding fathers would be absolutely ashamed of us as a people right now. We have allowed our government to get so big and so involved in our lives and take so much of our money and taxes. And now we're allowing them to force us to stay at home and wear masks when we leave the house. Our founding fathers started the revolution for far, far less than what we put up with every day in our country. I mean, the Boston Tea Party was over a stamp tax that was basically a luxury tax. I mean, it was coffee and tea thrown into the harbor because of the, like, three pence a pound or something like that tax on the tea. Three pence a pound which is nothing compared to what we pay in taxes every stinking day. Here in Pennsylvania, gasoline has 80 cents a gallon tax on it. 80 cents a gallon. And our sales tax is 6% here. I know that's not terribly high. There are states that are higher than that. And then income tax, federal, state, and local income taxes... Our founding fathers started a revolution over a luxury tax that was a fraction of what we pay in taxes today. And now we're letting our government tell us when we can leave our house and what we can do when we leave our house and whether or not we have to be wearing a mask and, oh no, you can't go to church, can't go out to dinner. This isn't America anymore. I don't know what we've become, but this is not the United States of America. It is time that we take our country back from the political elites that we've entrusted it to. It is time that America woke up to the dribs and drabs, the trickle of growth that we have put up with for decades upon decades. It's definitely time that we put a stop to the ridiculous spending, the out-of-control, bipartisan, ridiculous spending coming out of our federal government. They have long forgot that the money that they spend is our money, our tax dollars, and they just waste it left and right. And they're not even ashamed of it anymore. I said... I wanted to talk a little bit about the so-called heroes bill that um, Nancy Pelosi produced. It's not going to go anywhere. 
the Senate won't pick it up. The president wouldn't sign it even if it did get through the, the Senate. It's a ridiculous bill. It's a, a completely partisan wish list. Some of the things I, I want to point out, I want people to be aware that are in this wish list just because these are the talking points of the progressives and some of the things that they've been working for a really long time to get. And remember that this whole thing is disguised as coronavirus stimulus. So explain to me how so many restrictions were put in there to make getting back to work harder is a corona stimulus. Or explain to me how letting out tons of prisoners out of jail, anybody, any prisoner over 50 and any prisoner who's within a year of release and any prisoner who's a juvenile and any prisoner with a health condition, letting all of those people out of jails, even though they committed crimes and were convicted of those crimes, letting them all out of jail, and then spending $250 million of your tax money on reintegration of prisoners. Or the ridiculous amount of stuff, the, the changes to the immigration policy that, were, uh, that are inside of this coronavirus stimulus bill that, that awards federal funding back to sanctuary cities that you know, President Trump has been trying to stop, um, requires review of anybody who is detained by ICE so that uh, illegal immigrants can be released. Prevents the deportation of illegal immigrants, authorizes illegal immigrants to work in our country, and allows illegal immigrants to collect economic impact payments. There are 38 million American citizens out of work right now. Nancy Pelosi is more worried about making it so that illegal immigrants can get jobs and illegal immigrants can collect those federal stimulus dollars. What about the 38 million Americans that are unemployed right now, Ms. Pelosi? Then a bunch of just ridiculous, unrelated, wasteful spending, $125 million for the National Science Foundation, $50 million for the Legal Services Corporation, $50 million for the EPA, $40 million for geological surveys, $10 million for the National Endowment for the Arts, and another $10 million for the Endowment for, for Humanities, both of which got millions of dollars in the first stimulus bill. And Nancy's attack on federal election laws in this bill is insane. We do not really have a national election. We have state elections for federal positions such as the presidency. Each state manages their own election laws. Each state can pass voter ID laws and such. But according to Nancy Pelosi's bill, that it would basically take over and federalize the entire election process, mandate mail-in mail ballots, it allows and certifies for ballot harvesting where people come to your door to collect them because, you know, that can't be corrupted. It's just, 
It's a tremendous power grab that has absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus. Like Mitch McConnell said, it's the partisan wish list with coronavirus stimulus just stapled in the title of the thing. It's ridiculous. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. I don't think it has a chance. I just wanted us all to see what that wish list is so that we can be on the watch for it later because it's all going to come back up again. $3 trillion in a wish list that they call the Heroes Fund when less than one half of $1 trillion in that bill goes to the so-called heroes. That's about the end of segment one. We'll be back in, oh, just about a minute. We'll start over. New conversation. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. This Second Amendment moment is brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse at 130 West High Street in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania. When the government was closing businesses, Hunter's Warehouse was open. When ammunition was out of stock everywhere, including online, Hunter's Warehouse had it. With thousands of firearms and truckloads of ammunition in stock, no wonder people drive for hours to visit Hunter's Warehouse. Go to Hunter'sWarehouse.net for all of your Second Amendment needs. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Hey, welcome back. Before I move on to the gun laws, I promise I will get to the gun laws. And it's mostly good news for the Second Amendment this time around. Uh, but before I get there, I still have some more coronavirus stuff that I need to vent. Anybody who thinks that the entire economic shutdown of our nation was not political, that it was done strictly to save lives, is naive. I'm sorry. It wasn't entirely to save lives. I mean, just look at the social distancing mask wearing mumbo jumbo that's gone on. I mean, if masks work, then why do we need six foot of social distance? And if social distancing works, then why do we need masks? And if both social distancing and masks work, maybe they only work like, you know, so-so each, but together they work great. Um, okay. Then if we can stand in line at the grocery store then why can't we stand in line at the poll stations to vote? I mean, why are our businesses closed if masks and social distancing work? This isn't entirely about a virus and saving lives. I'm not exactly sure what else is going on behind the scenes, but there's a, something there. I don't know if it's because politicians realize that there's no way that Trump would going to get voted out next year or this year if uh, if the economy was just as strong as it was so they're willing to crash the economy and put millions of people out of work just to get rid of Trump. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that really hate Trump, but I don't know if that's what they're thinking. Or maybe it actually did start out as trying to save lives in the beginning when we didn't know much about the virus. And now it's just continued because the government said, hey, 
people followed along. They, they did all of these things that we demanded of them. They, they gave away their rights because they were scared. How long can we keep that up? Maybe that was it. Or maybe after we, we uh, all sheltered in place like we were supposed to in the beginning, which again, I've said before, I agreed with it in the beginning. It was the right thing to do until we learned what this virus was. But maybe now it's just a test to see how long we'll go along with it. Or maybe it was a test to see how much they could get away with. Or, or maybe this is a dry run for next year when they're going to try to get us to do something else. I don't trust government. And I think that anybody who does trust government is horribly naive because uh, I've read a history book. You can't ever trust any government. No matter what kind of government it is, government grows and government is worse than the people in the government. Government becomes its own thing and just goes. These shutdowns, these lockdowns or stay-at-homes, governors all across this country have closed their states, have can't and and as a result of governors closing their states, tons of family institutions are being canceled for this this summer. There's a fair near me here in Pennsylvania that has been in operation every summer since the Civil War. It was canceled this year for the first time since the Civil War. The, the Grange Encampment and Fair, the, uh, the, the Center County Grange Fair, which has not been canceled in 150 years, the largest tenting encampment fair in our country that has been going on every year for 150 years was just canceled. All of the small local fairs and things have been canceled. This shutdown, the, the economic impact, the economic cost of these governors closing states will not be known for years. And my governor, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania, he's in talks with all the major sports leagues, you know, the Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL, about how to get them back opened. But he hasn't allowed the rest of the state to open back up yet. But those big companies, those big sporting events, they bring money. And for some reason... They're far more important than the guy on the street with his own little corner store. It's, that's a failure. If you can go to Walmart and you can wear your mask and social distance and go to Walmart and Target and the other big box stores that are still open, then you can go to any small business in this country and follow those same rules. This is not about your safety. It is not about the safety of other people that you may come in contact with. And if you think contact tracing is a good idea, I would like to introduce you to some people 
that uh, worked in Nazi Germany and the amount of data that they collected on their citizens was insane. It's just not a good idea to give the government that power, that information. I mean, they we all carry cell phones. They can track where you are anyway from a cell phone. All they need to know is your cell phone number. But you don't have to make it even easier for them. Oh, yeah, sure, I agree. I'll download this app to my phone so that not only can you see everywhere I go, but you can also see everyone I come in contact with. Sure, I'll do that. No, thank you. And if you plan to do that, and you happen to be one of the people that has me as a contact in your phone, please delete my contact information before you install that app. I'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you. What do you think comes after contact tracing? Well, if you listen to the doctors of the WHO, you know, the World Health Organization, their idea is that once you test positive, they're going to come and contact everybody that you've been in contact and test all of them. And let's say that you test positive, but your spouse or your children or your grandparents or whomever else might live in your home isn't positive. What do you think happens then? Well, the World Health Organization, the wonderful humanists that they are who have nothing better to do than to save lives, they suggest that you be removed from your house by force if necessary, to be put into a big group home with all of the other positive people. I'll be damned if I allow anybody to come and take my my beautiful wife out of my house. And I'll be damned if I allow you to come take me away from my beautiful wife. It won't happen somebody's going to die. Now, it might very well be me, but I will not voluntarily be taking out of my own home for a virus with a 99% survivability rate. That brings up another interesting study I just heard. Survivability rate. Somebody went through and took the time to compare COVID fatalities to the, you know, traditional seasonal flu. And yes, overall, COVID nineteen, the Wuhan flu, is far more deadly than the traditional seasonal flu. Overall, and it is far more deadly to those that have you know, underlying health issues. And it's far more deadly for people over 65 years old. But you know what's really funny about this interesting study? Is that children, those under the age of uh, 18, I don't remember what the line was, and I didn't make notes, I am so sorry. They broke it down into a whole lot of different uh, age groups. Basically, the younger you are, the more likely you are to die of the flu versus Wuhan. And it was so much like infants or something 
like seven times more likely to die from the flu than the COVID-19 virus. Then you get up to like teenagers were roughly three times more likely to die from regular old influenza than they were from the Wuhan flu. And then when you got into the 20s, it dropped to almost even numbers. But then once you got over the 20s, then it started to lean that you were more likely to die from Wuhan flu. I'm really sorry I didn't make notes. I'd love to cite the study and give you more accurate information from it. But unfortunately, I was driving when I heard about it, and I did not have the ability to make notes. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. But it was interesting stuff. That's the kind of information that should be allowing us to open our country faster. That's the kind of information that should be saying, hey, wait, if children basically don't die from it, and then another study that says that children really don't pass it along to the adults for some reason, why are the schools closed? There's just so many questions about the whole thing, the government handling of the thing. So many unknowns that are now known, but yet our governors don't want to give up the power that they grabbed for themselves when they declared this emergency in their state. Some of these states, like mine, are completely bankrupt. And I would not be surprised in the slightest if they're hanging on to this power and keeping this lockdown going to bankrupt themselves even more so that they can be like California and, uh, and, and call, I'm sorry, not call, write a letter to Nancy Pelosi at the House and say, oh, we're broke. We need a federal bailout. Hashtag no bailouts. That's ridiculous. The federal government is not responsible for your financial ills in your state. Your financial ills in your state began long before coronavirus came here. Your bad financial decision-making, your bloated pension contracts that you agreed to, your willingness to give free health care to whomever you know came with a handout, your willingness to overpay for ridiculous menial jobs in your state is not the fault of the federal government. And the money that the federal government has is our money from all of the states. Why should those people who live in financially secure states be paying for the people who have repeatedly voted in elected officials who are bankrupting their states. That's just wrong. States who are bankrupt, they're sticking their hand out. Two or three of them have already asked for bailouts from the federal government that I'm aware of. California is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Governor Cuomo in New York has made some pretty strong hints at it on his daily press conference. I don't know if he's actually officially put in a request for funds. But that's not the federal government's job. This all goes back to the Texas Seed Act again, which is a great example of how federalism is supposed to work. The president vetoed the bill to give seeds to Texas when they were uh, drought-ridden. 
because it wasn't the federal government's job. And Texas got the seeds from the people of our nation who gave them to Texas, not those that were taxed into paying for them. This goes to one of my core conservative values. I am not opposed to affordable health care and affordable education. I think those are both great ideas. However, I am vehemently opposed to the idea of using federal tax dollars to achieve those things. I think the federal government is absolutely the worst vehicle for achieving anything that has the word affordable in the title. Oh man, look at the time. I have spent three quarters of this episode basically rambling on about the Wuhan flu crisis and the government overreaction or government, I don't know what what to call it, power grab is all I can see. It's one big power grab. (sighs) All right, got to stop that, at least for now. I'm sure by next week I'll have more Wuhan flu garbage to complain about. I don't want to be that show. I really tried for weeks. I tried to not talk about coronavirus on this Liberty Lighthouse podcast. That didn't work well, did it? All right, next topic. Let's move on to that Second Amendment. It's brought to you by the Hunter's Warehouse, hunterswarehouse.net. Um, some really good stuff, and some of it's little easy stuff. Um, outdoor gun ranges have been opened in New Jersey. Uh, Massachusetts just opened shooting ranges. Virginia has opened their indoor ranges. You know, that's all good stuff. Uh, New Mexico has finally allowed gun stores to open, albeit with a, uh, with only 25% of the occupancy on their fire code certificates. That just doesn't seem right to me, but, uh, so they're allowed to open However, the uh, the adjustment that was made that did allow these gun stores to open in New Mexico shows absolutely no relief for any of the fines that have been levied to gun stores who chose to stay open in violation of the governor's orders. Uh, one of those stores had been levied uh, $60,000 in fines, but now they're allowed to be open. Uh, there was a whole lot of talk about uh, Mayor Lumumba, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but Mayor Lumumba of Jackson, Mississippi, uh, if you may recall, he decided that because of the state of emergency, he was going to suspend the right to carry a weapon within the city limits of Jackson, which... Um, yeah, I don't think so. I told you before, I started carrying when this all came down. And he tried to suspend it. However, it was deemed completely unconstitutional and thrown out. So you can now carry in Jackson, Mississippi again. Maine finally removed uh, gun stores from the non-essential business list. So gun stores will be opening if they haven't already in Maine. And one of the biggest ones 
And this is this is a really big win for Second Amendment folks. It was Louisiana, um, House Bill seven four six, House Bill seven eight one, House Bill one four zero, and House Bill three three four have all passed the House just yesterday. All four of those bills passed the House, and let's go over them a little tiny bit. So House Bill seven four six. Uh, allows concealed carry during an emergency. So that is in reaction to uh, Mayor LaBumba in Jackson, Mississippi. They basically fortified that you are allowed to conceal carry your weapon in the state of Louisiana during an emergency declaration. House Bill 781 specifically uh, calls out gun stores as an essential business. Again, reaction to the many states out there that did not have gun stores listed as essential businesses and demanded that gun stores be closed. House Bill 140 forbids any local laws restricting possession of firearms in Louisiana. So uh, Louisiana is trying to be preemptive there make it so that the state laws regarding possession firearms are not circumvented by any locality. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that one. You know, I, I do like the idea that they're preserving the right to carry. However, I'm not sure I like the fact that the state is telling that a county or a city cannot have their own laws about who can carry in their state or who could possess in their state. Um, that, well, it, it goes against the federalist nature of my bones. But it is what it is. At least it's a good law this time. Usually those things that go against my federalist nature are things that make me mad. This time, it's one that doesn't make me mad, but I'm still, still a little worried about the federalist issue that goes with this law. And the last one, uh, House Bill 334 in Louisiana. Um, well, House Bill 334 specifically says that if you can conceal carry a weapon in all places of worship, and of course it goes through and spells out churches and synagogues and mosques and other places of worship, but... It means that you can carry a gun in Louisiana in your house of worship. Now, again, these are all just bills. They are not yet laws in Louisiana. They all came out of committee, I think, last week. And then they were all just voted on yesterday in the House. And all four of them have passed the House. So they still have some hurdles to jump through before they come laws, but they are on their way. Fortunately, that's about all that I have in the Second Amendment world. Don't forget to visit hunterswarehouse.net and get a hold of Tom for all of your Second Amendment needs. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm about out of time. So thank you very much for coming to the Liberty Lighthouse. I greatly appreciate that. Follow me on social media at P. Seraphine. And until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America.
Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 My Rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated.